0: Hey guys, it's Trevor. Uh, This is one of those famous hey guys, that's gonna go before episodes when I forget to say stuff. So, the episode you're about to listen to is a very good one about Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. Uh, Listen to me talking as if anybody gives a shit right up top but uh, I know the director of this film it is Park Chan-wook and the film is called The Handmaiden and our guest is Kevin Cookman who uh, on the show I play it pretty cool with uh, we kind of jokingly call him a professional podcaster his show I ever See the big boys literally is one of my favorite new podcasts but I didn't mention on the show quite enough how much I like Kevin's writing he is a writer for merry-go-round magazine he's an editor there I believe actually a uh, uh, high up there um, I want to plug them. They have a they have a Patreon that you can, I think, subscribe for like $2 a month to support them. Please support Merry-Go-Round Magazine. Support Kevin. Uh, I, I literally think of him as like my favorite film critic. Like I think he's that good of a writer. Um, and I know I like David Ehrlich. Of course, everyone likes him from IndieWire. But I actually agree with Kevin's stuff. I think he has really interesting takes on movies, as you're going to hear in this episode. And I just wanted to say... Didn't give him enough credit there as a writer. And uh, please enjoy the episode. Adam is sitting here listening. Uh, Adam, do you have anything to say?
1: Great job, Trevor.
0: Okay, enjoy the episode.
1: I am a dirty old man who likes erotica. Everyone absorbs every story differently. That is my passion. But now it's all over. What do I do? Uh, Adam, this is
0: actually usually where we read a line from the movie. Welcome to Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-time cowards. My name is Trevor. And I'm Adam. And Pop Goes the Weasel. That is our catchphrase for this week. If you have a better catchphrase that you think will be better going forward, please email us at ghostpartypictures@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Hey, Adam, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, Trevor. i um... We dude, we are God. we are like the episode or the podcast uh how did this get made, how June, Diane Raphael, and uh Paul Shear are married but can't do fucking banter up top on the show. Like they <laughs> like God forbid anybody knows they actually know each other, let alone have children together.
1: Yeah, we have a real life podcaster here, so we're we're nervous. Yeah, and
0: um and we just so everyone knows, everybody uses Zoom in the in the pandemic right now. Uh they look at each other when they speak uh but adam and i cannot look each other in the eyes when we talk let alone our guests in the eyes so that's why we use another system where no one can see each other and we're just voices floating in a void that's right uh our guest today like adam said is a real life podcaster uh actually the co-host uh playing second fiddle of course in his podcast uh i would never do that on my own podcast <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
0: um of my favorite quarantine podcast uh, which I, I thought i could stop saying four or five months ago at this point but uh real quick kevin when did you start uh, i ever the big boys when did that start march
2: uh yeah around march april uh when we thought oh this will last till july we'll watch a couple movies uh did not last till july it's we'll be lucky if we get to stop doing the podcast this july
0: yeah, really. I mean, uh, in May is when I was going around saying like, "Oh, this is my favorite podcast fi- or a uh, uh, quarantine find," uh, and then like now I'm still listening to it, and I'm like, "Oh, this podcast is never going to end." But I'm sort of happy about that. I wish the worldwide p-word pandemic would end. <laughs> uh, okay, so ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from i versus the Big Boys, uh, Sir Kevin Cookman. Thank you, Kevin, for being on the show.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, also, I want to just put a message to your listeners. Uh, please email in uh some taglines please god please fucking do it please anything anything but letting these two just at their own devices anything
0: email anything yeah uh i think like the first one i did was like i had watched hubie halloween for the sixth time this week and was and i just and i just said like a shalooly doobly like that was our catchphrase for the week because but yeah kevin's right please god send us anything to read on the show there's a
1: very rooted problem with the person picking the the lines here
0: (laughs) yeah exactly my taste my taste is just it's completely degenerated during this thing this (laughs) this worldwide p-word um kevin you you just like adam used to be a volunteer at the frida cinema that's how we met
2: yeah i sure was uh just manning that popcorn handing out some drinks take you know giving out some tickets it was
0: a great time. Uh, all I ever think about when, uh, when, uh, when I remember our time, because it was very early on in my stint there. And I, I'm just yeah. now getting, I think in January, late January of 2021 is going to be three years that I've been staffed there. So as a volunteer plus staff, it's been almost four years, a full term. Um, and the one thing that I remember about our conversations at the theater was just funny because you're, I mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't mean to ask your age, but you're 24, 25 maybe? Yeah, you got it. Um, so you're five years younger than me and I just could tell you have watched like at even at that time like double the movies I had watched, you know, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be walking around. I wasn't programming quite yet, but I'm supposed to be walking around as like this art house dude and I'm like, oh, well, our volunteer over here who volunteers on like Tuesday afternoons or whatever has like seen double the movies I've seen.
2: Isn't that how how always it is, though, like at the theater? Like, it's never, like, really the programmer. It's, like, the the guy, like, is trapped in the projection booth that has watched, like, 12,000 things. And that's who you want really controlling, like, the machinery. You need need to steal their ideas and then put the gussied up nice version. And, you know, I could never do your job, Trev. Like, the way that you, uh, like, compact things together to
0: make everyone happy at these hey, drive-in screenings. I was gonna say the way that I sell out, utterly and completely sell out. <laughs> like we're playing uh, Twilight this Saturday, fully sold out. We're playing Repo Man tomorrow. We've sold 30 tickets to it. Well, you know, I <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Trev. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, you also were a volunteer at the Frida. Uh, what, what would you say our conversations were like there? <laughs>
1: Well, it's interesting because I'm 12 and a half, and I've seen four times the movies you've seen. Wow,
0: dude. The Zoomers are crazy.
1: I know, dude. Gen Z is, is wild, wild,
0: wild. You're not going to save the world, though. <laughs>
1: um, most of our, our conversations were about trying to start a podcast. Yeah, it's true. Classic. It's true.
0: And how our our sense of, I mean, no, we, we wouldn't stand around like meta talking about how our sense of humor were basically the same, but. Boy, does it really not work on a podcast, I tell (laughs) you. Help. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's Adam's catchphrase, just help. Um, so let's start talking about some movies, Kevin. Like I said, we don't like to banter uh, up top too much. But <laughs> as as you know, as a, a dedicated fan of this show, uh, we deconstruct genres of cinema. Uh, basically, we'll go one genre at a time until we are done talking to each other. We don't want to talk to each other anymore. Uh, what's your favorite genre of cinema of all time? If you could pick one.
2: Uh, that's, that's funny, because every time someone would ask me, like, what's my favorite type of movie, uh, the stock answer that I always go with, is like, oh, I love genre cinema. I always thought I could get away with that, but then right. once you actually talk to genre freaks, they want specifics. I don't know. I think it's definitely not the f- type of film that I watch the most, but if I'm looking for something that I want, like, I, I really want to, like, warm up my blood, I mean, it's appropriate that I'm here, because it's, it's fucking, it's what the South Koreans do. You know, I want I want to laugh, I want to. I want to squeal. I want to. You know, what's that fucking word? Uh, I want to recoil in absolute terror if I can. Uh, I want to get way too horny. Uh, I want to get way too angry. I want everything that's possible in a movie at once. I'll be honest. I'm saying South Korean. That's the highbrow answer. I really just want Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I think every movie needs to be Pee
0: Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Uh wees Big Adventure, that that's a big boy. That's for sure. Like that's that's a that's a movie, that's a four quadrant. What well, damn, we have not played that at the fucking
2: drive in god it would it would do gangbuster numbers you'd get 42 tickets max It'd I, be know, yeah, I think,
0: absolutely no i think that actually would do really really well um by the way when we're talking completely out of top context numbers 30 tickets uh, our max is like 120 so 30 tickets is not good so twilight sold 120
1: so please come see repo man please, i mean i shouldn't
0: i shouldn't go. have to stand on the corner and beg people to come watch repo man
1: by by now when this podcast releases it's already going to be a disaster
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it'll be like and also it's supposed to be super windy tomorrow but let's not talk about it anymore uh do you have any so if your favorite you know genre film is south korean films i get what you mean by that adam gets what you mean by that any uh standouts besides maybe the movie you've brought today
2: uh you know i'm um, oh man i don't know i i mean like Park Chan-wook is always on it. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, obviously. Those are, like, the two huge guys that will always, like, come every few years and show you, like, oh, you were thinking about comedy the wrong way. Oh, you were thinking about horror the wrong way. Oh, you were thinking about crime thrillers the absolute wrong way. Um, you know, that's that's the best thing about, uh, like, this section of just, like, everything-at-once movies. I think, like, also, like, like, maybe Alex Winter's Freaked would kind of fall into this. Like, these films that have, uh, uh, like, a very like, 90s Nickelodeon brain, uh, but maybe executions that are more steeped in, like, the really dark abyss of, like, Abel Ferreira or really want to get into the homage of Brian De Palma or, like, you know, every film is basically uh, a different set of directors that these guys are are just jerking off. And I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, like, the best thing you can get from a movie is that movie making you want to watch more movies. Uh, And that's what I think these, like, big amalgamation type genre movies do for me. They keep me going.
1: So what is the Kevin Cookman bullet point list for movies that make him recoil, make him horny? What do you need to see in there? Guys, Ooh, hold
0: first of all, hold on. We steal this from, I knew you know better than this, Adam. We stole this from vs the Big Boy. We don't say that word. We say H word like they do. We've been doing that this entire time. <laughs> he
1: said horny first.
0: <laughs> I know, but it's we say H word. We don't say that.
2: I think. I think if I'm looking at movies that really make me caps lock h-word really want to get into it Mm -hmm. i think um mm, mm. you know i think um the cormans are always terrific like uh uh beyond the the valley of the dolls is Mm. one of the most frenetic uh like complete coke blasts of a movie that you could ever indulge in and then you have you know john carpenter is obviously the goat but I think Big Trouble in Little China is like the secret MVP of his entire repertoire. Like that is just literally 17 movies in one. It should not work. Also, obviously, Repo Man, go buy tickets to Repo Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when this comes out like a month after the screenings already happened. Um, so you're, you're like me in, in a way of like, and the, the reason why we started this podcast is that we would basically find out what the be- quote unquote best movie of each of these genres we do are based on our completely arbitrary rating system Um, and then eventually my idea was that one day we'll do like a a, a March Madness style bracket and find out which movie is like the most genre you know what I mean so I love A Big Trouble Little China that's like 10 different genres or uh, we talk about this movie has come up a million times on this series already but Kill Bill is like one of those movies where you can like it or you can't you know whatever but it's like a western samurai revenge like it's like every single type of movie so uh, i just love when stuff was like that as well
2: yeah it's like perfect for like you you want one of my ideal visions of a movie is like can this be like enough intellectual like uh uh, just gruel for like an 11 a.m lemley screening with a bunch of old people that like are reading the movie better than you ever could? And could it also hold your attention at, like, a midnight screening? Like, things that can be viewed on a completely aesthetic, fun level, but also can be, like, broken open, like, like Faulkner or something.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say Lemle. I, I, do you? I, how often do y'all, both of you, go to the movies, like, alone? But, you know, obviously back when we could go to the movies. Is that, like, a regular thing you would do?
2: I would regularly go alone, for sure. I, I don't see the point in taking someone else you're not talking during it and then after it you have like what a car ride maybe a dinner to talk about it but at that point you're just talking about you know other things about life
1: um, start yeah. a podcast yeah exactly uh i'm in the same boat I-, I love going to the movies alone it's pretty relaxing
2: it is i miss
0: it a lot um Lemle specifically is a good name job because it's the only place i've ever been other than the frida where after the movie like you can have a conversation with somebody about it. Like it, like someone went by themselves and then they saw you went by yourself. Uh, famously, famously, I stopped cause, uh traffic going through Pasadena was so bad one time that I stopped and I went and saw a hunt for the wilder people, which I didn't know anything about. And uh, it was me and like five other people in the theater. And we had like a two, we had a, a conversation after the movie longer than the movie was.
2: God damn.
0: Yeah. That's in Pasadena. Beautiful. I know. Was, I loved it. Same thing with cold war. I went and saw cold war at the Lemle Golden, or whatever one is down by the New Art. And, and there was just a long conversation in the lobby afterwards, and there wasn't that many people in the theater. But, uh, yeah, those are two great memories I have of going to the movie theaters. R.I.P. movie theaters.
2: don't oh, no. I, when you are the one saying that, that's, that's <laughs> not – doesn't bode well
0: no art houses will be fine i'm just messing around but like maybe yeah. my, my big thing and i don't know if we've talked about this already but like if you have four megaplexes by you two of those will go out of business you'll still have two megaplexes to go to you'll be fine okay yeah that sounds about right um so we, let's get into the movie uh like i said not, we don't like a lot of preamble up top but now we've just been talking for a while which is great um I, it's a, that's the mark of a good guest adam take notes I'll learn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this is what's going to happen now. We're going to go ahead and discuss the movie The Handmaiden, of course, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime. I feel like it's been streaming on Amazon Prime for a while. It may have been on Netflix at one point, but that's where it is now. Uh, Basically, we're going to kind of touch on it. We're not going to go through plot point by point, but we're going to discuss Park Chan-wook, of course. Uh, the performances in the movie, any uh, standout sequences, and then we'll kind of end it on what makes this special within the genre, we'll talk about box office and legacy and all that stuff. But um, let's start here. So this week, of course, we are talking about Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, uh, which is in 1930s Korea, in the period of Japanese occupation, a young woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress who lives in a secluded life on a large countryside estate with her domineering uncle. But the maid has a secret. Uh, that is where I cut off the letterboxed, uh <laughs> plot line. I didn't want to read anymore. I thought that would have been succinct enough. Uh, so uh, well, let's start here before we get into the letterbox reviews. Uh, Kevin and Adam, what are your his- what's your history with The Handmaiden?
2: I, I first saw The Handmaiden in theaters uh, over in that uh, like that student center theater in Irvine. God bless it. I saw so many. I, I, went, I went to college in Orange County. And so a lot of my time was spent at the Frida and then that Irvine six student center. And I remember going in kind of uh, dreading this film a bit. It's this entire period, uh, this sort of this craze in genre directors wanting to make their own Gothic mysteries. Uh, I know like Crimson peak had just come out the year prior and I was not crazy about that at all. Like none of the place setting really did anything for me. Like I, 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 it was sumptuous, but it felt mostly in service to the filmmakers. Uh, and so I was kind of going into this, not really crazy about Old Boy either. Uh, Park Chan-wook wasn't exactly my number one dude. And I go into The Handmaiden, and I was... I, I, it was one of the most fun times I've ever had at a movie theater. It was, it's so rare that you get a caper like this that is really open and, and inviting. Which is an odd thing to say about this movie, which is very kinky and hostile and and really transgressive Uh, But it's it really wants to make sure that you Understand this mystery because every plot beat in this thing is just so goddamn tight and So just every step of it is incredibly shocking And it, it wants to make sure that you get every single one of those script beats and I just you know It's one of the just great pieces of entertainment of the 2010s for me
1: yeah, I saw it at the exact same place, Kevin. It might have been in the exact same showing back in the day. <laughs> um, And I love that theater. I, I'm a huge fan of Old Boy. I grew up with that movie, in a way, when I was appropriate. And um, I was excited to see the same director come back and bring another Korean movie, because he was doing a couple English movies, I think, for a little bit.
2: Yeah, did he do that TV series before or after this?
0: Did? I am not entirely sure, but I know that Stoker was mm-hmm. right before this, correct?
2: Yeah, that was 2013, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, I was excited. I brought um, a, the person that I was seeing at the time with me. I was a little nervous because Old Boy, as much as I love, is a pretty sloppy movie, I think, and I, I didn't want this to get too out of hand. Um, <laughs> but like you said, it's sort of perfect. I mean, this movie is so charming. It has so much personality, and such, it has like such a fully realized theme. Um, but it's hard. It's like, it's like a back to the future type of movie, you know, Uh, how can someone watch this movie and not enjoy it?
0: It, uh, When I read the plot of like in 1930, you know, Korea in the period of Japanese occupation, like immediately you start to like fall asleep. You're like, this is, this is homework. You know what I mean? And so when I had heard of it, I was like, oh, I'm not interested in this movie. And then when I heard who had made it, I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Then uh, I saw it at a a little movie theater in Orange County uh, that I don't ever really get to sit down and watch movies at called The Frida. Uh, I watched it on the big screen there, and, like, 20 minutes into it, I was, like, kicking myself, like, why did you not expect this movie to be just an absolute fucking slapper? Because it is exactly what this movie is, and I watched it last night again and was just like – I had for, I had truly forgotten some of the major parts of it, and that is the best feeling when you like you saw a movie, you love it, and then you pick it back up again. Um, Letterboxd reviews, real quick. I'll just go through this. Joan on Letterboxd, now one of my friends because I liked this review. Uh, this review may contain spoilers. I don't care. Lesbians scamming men and staying together is my favorite film genre. Can't say I disagree with that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, a listener named Brad Pitt, possibly we don't know uh it says me a queer korean woman watching other queer korean women scam abusive men now that's what i call representation that's brad pitt all right i know he, he really he really got the movie kevin you've recently been quoted on twitter saying homeboy has never been a, for the faint of heart about park chan wook so we're gonna go ahead and play a new segment on the game of uh, the game on the podcast um that even Adam doesn't know about right now but right. when we have a guest on who is a fan of the filmmaker or i at least know has seen the vast majority of the filmmaker's uh movies we're going to rank the films of Park Chan-wook right up top to give people some c- context Jesus Christ okay Yeah. i'm out so let's let's st- let's start number 1 with a bullet what is your favorite Park Chan-wook film right here right now it's i mean it's The Handmaiden all
2: day like this yeah. is his piece the resistance this is the one
0: yeah and you're right man he, he he's not for the faint of heart uh you know a lot of people say like he don't miss you know he does miss sometimes for sure like i just had i, I just finished the vengeance trilogy this year and adam you're right man like the, like old boy's messy those other two are pretty messy mm-hmm. but at, they're just so it's just like we were talking about with i saw the devil they're just, like, so impeccably made regardless. You know what I mean? Like, he's just such a good director that you'll just kind of go with him and be like, I I guess this is where this movie should end up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to be excited to hear this, Adam. He's a To me, he's a very can director. Like, Park Chan-wook always feels like he's at Cannes. Like, every year. Even, even though he doesn't drop a movie, uh, you know, every four years or whatever, he feels like he's such a presence there every year. Mm-hmm.
1: And if he would have um, won the d'Or, we would have talked about... It on our podcast, Palm Dorks.
0: Yes, uh, Kevin. I don't know if you know this, but we <laughs> did. I already say this in this episode. No, because oh, every episode we have to reference our dead podcast that never came to be called Palm Dorks, <laughs> uh, where we go through the movies that have won the Palm Dior, of course, from uh, you know whenever the first one was like 1940 something. A good uh,
2: concept.
0: <laughs> yeah, a, a very niche concept uh, and very stupid, which is you know great for podcasting always. Um, But we watched like 20 of them Like from the 40s to the 60s Before I was like What if we just did like a genre podcast (laughs) (laughs) So now we just know way too much About like early Palm Dior winners Which is really funny but, um, yeah, so this movie is a friggin' twisted. So let's just start out talking about Park Chan-wook. Oh, wait, you were ranking his goddamn movies. Are we ranking? Yeah. <laughs> Are we doing that segment still? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. We're ranking them. So what would you say the second best Park Chan-wook movie is? Uh,
2: I think I, I watched this film for the first time last night. Uh, I'm going to go Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Mm-hmm.
0: I, uh, I, I agree with you.
2: Yeah, and then, I mean, if I'm just going to go down the list real quick, it's yeah. that, uh, and then Old Boy, yep. Thirst, uh, Lady Vengeance, Uh, Some joint security area, Mm -hmm. and then at the bottom, I haven't seen uh, the Cyborg movie, uh, but I'm not a fan of Stoker. Really not a fan of Stoker.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, I think Stoker is, like, better than most movies that come out, obviously. It's just, like, kind of impeccably directed. But, um, yeah, kind of a loose remake of Shadow of a Doubt, uh, which was Hitchcock's favorite Hitchcock movie. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I like um, Mia Wasikowski. I think Nicole Kidman has had, obviously, an incredible uh, decade. But I I could not tell you who that 3rd build dude is in that
2: movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, It's the Watchmen guy. But I, th- I think, like, what you bring up about, like, Park Chan-wook's, like, Vengeance Trilogy being, like, kind of messy, I agree with that, but I think in the Vengeance Trilogy, at least, I think Old Boy kind of uh, gets lost in the sauce, but at least at, like, Sympathy for, for Mr. Vengeance, that thing is all about literally getting lost in the sauce. Like, that is a film about the repercussions of getting way too deep in your own delusions that this game that so many people think that they can beat you're the one who can beat it. And Stoker is just, uh, it is just so messy and everyone is, is, everyone in that film kind of lacks the warmth that a lot of Park Chan-wook's characters usually have, which I think is what makes his films that much more brutal. Like it's people that are just pushed to the, to their most uh, violent ends because they they want uh, love, uh, they want uh, just money, or they just want a new kidney. Like that's it. And then in Stoker, it's just like, all right, I get it. Like, Nicole Kidman, you're trying to fuck Mia Wasikowska. Mia Wasikowska's trying to fuck Watchman guy. I, I I, don't know. I feel like I could just watch a stuffy English director do this. I don't know why Park Chan-wook is wasting three years of his career to do this.
1: Yeah, you know what? And The Handmaiden could have so easily been messy. And it's nice to see percent. how he just... He knows how to straighten out those strings, you know? And when he does it, I mean, man. This movie... I mean, personally, you know... This movie is now one of my favorite movies. Having watched it again, I loved it.
0: Yeah, I actually f- literally favorited it on Letterboxd, so it's automatically in at least my top fifty movies of all time. I think the most satisfying thing you can do with a movie is just give it a clever structure. Like you know how like even like a Nolan or a Tarantino like member like he they like reinvented the wheel like seemingly with these movies like Memento and Pulp Fiction, where it's just like you make a normal movie, then you just fuck with the structure, and all of a sudden it just becomes so much more interesting. I had forgotten the structure of this movie how you're kind of given hints of what happens from one person's point of view and then you go back just using that as the base then having it get more twisted and more twisted and more twisted i just had a huge smile on my face the first time i watched this movie
2: yeah i'm a big agreed because it's like what's so fun about like the first act of this movie is that it, it you think that you're about to get like neck deep into this story that you need a notebook to keep up with. Like there are so many different characters with different dynamics coming in and scenes that really only last about like 17 seconds and then you're completely out. And then you get to that second act uh, where we basically revisit all of those scenes with new information. And you know, it's 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 the oddest part about this movie is that it's kind of kind, is that it purposely wants to trick you into thinking that this is going to be a horribly difficult puzzle, uh, and then you walk through uh, the other person's shoes, and bang a rang, baby! Uh, everything makes such crystal clear sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a beautiful diorama. Well, can mm-hmm. I can I ask you guys a question? Sure. So, did you guys have a similar experience to me when this movie gets into its first like fifty minutes? You were not entirely sold on what was happening. Like, it, it, like that 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 plotting how it sort of reveals itself to want to let you in on the trick were you guys at all dreading like ah jesus christ this is too much memorization i don't because i know there's a lot of uh like uh mysteries that are similar to the handmaiden that are very cruel to their viewer um like i'm thinking weirdly enough of like tinker Tailor, soldier spy Mm. which is a movie that honestly it is so convoluted that I think of it mostly as, like, a mood piece. Like, it might as well be, like, a Lucille Fulci movie with how it's just so little of it feels like it matters, and what you're really going in for is just this suffocating sense of doom. And I was kind of ready for The Handmaiden to be that. So for it to unfurl and basically be fucking, like, knives out, uh, that was almost, like, the most satisfying part of the film to me, that I could actually sit back and watch, like, the best blockbuster of, like... All time in a movie theater when I was like fully expecting, like, uh, there is that one Kim Ji Woon movie that came out the same year uh, called The Age of Shadows that stars uh, Song King Ho, uh, which is, I think uh, Adam said, like, there's this movie, like, The Handmaiden could have easily been super fucking boring, very dry, really messy. Age of Shadows is almost exactly what yeah. people were expecting from this movie.
0: Yeah, so, I, I, I did find it extremely I, – I so – like, you know once the first twist happens and you realize that it's broken up into structures, you kind of can sense that the next thing is going to happen. Like, I, you're not blindsided by the fact that, like, th- those two are working together. But it's so it, – like you said, like, knives out how, like, Ryan Johnson – I call it just lining up the dominoes and knocking them all down in terms of script writing. And I know, like, Simon Peg and Edgar Wright is an okay example, I guess. They'll write – Like a lot of his movies start with basically the character saying every theme and thing that will be paid off by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, And I just I just love that we see everything unfold the way it does, and it is extreme. Did you find it really satisfying in that way, Adam? And that it wasn't sloppy. And, And even when you see the running time, you're like, oh man, there's gonna be so much filler in this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember, but I think that point, you know, when the first twist happens, is when we're kind of like when we see the glimpse of personality in this film, when we see it as a higher thing than just like uh, a kind of depressing Korean con movie. I mean, one thing that I love is a movie that can win me over when I'm going in expecting not to like it, or maybe the initial first act is just not my bag. Um, Did you guys see one cut of the dead? The Japanese zombie movie?
2: Sure have, yeah.
1: That, I don't know if you guys, but same feeling there. I mean, the first half an hour of that movie is kind of kind of sucks big time right yeah well i mean it's even more of it because
2: it's i think it's like almost like 50 minutes mm-hmm. of just one of the the shittiest low-budget horror movies you've ever seen right and you're you're really gonna giving it the benefit of a doubt it's like that uh you want to believe the festival hype when you watch one cut of the dead mm-hmm. and then it all eventually i yeah i think that's a really interesting film to bring up for this because you're right it does like ultimately make sense like you were supposed to feel as negatively as you felt in that beginning stretch. Yeah, right, yeah. which is
1: pretty bold. I mean Handmaiden doesn't go that deep. I think because of how well the filmmaking and vision is for this movie. Um, but yeah, the, the the rest of One Cut of the Dead without you know ruining it got me. Now I love that movie. I was about to walk out and I never do that. Um, but with the Handmaiden I think I think it was just so strong. I think it had us even at the beginning um, because it told it slowly there were those gaps there for sure, but I think I think it was okay just because we wanted to see what was going to happen next, you know, it was enticing enough to get away with that.
0: He he doesn't go that long without giving you that first hint. Like we it's like like 12 minutes into the movie, we cut back and we that's when we're explained that there's a con going on. Uh, By the way, did did you guys find it sort of similar to Parasite in a way of like like, that kind of makeshift family that was there and they were talking about like conning people and stuff like that?
2: Uh, No, for sure. I think it it comes through a lot more on on this viewing on how closely these filmmakers are interlinked in sort of like – it really does feel like like Director Park and Director Bong are definitely Mm -hmm. watching the same shit. Like I remember uh, there's a Criterion Closet video with Bong Joon-ho and he says that he lent – one of his DVDs to Part Chan-wook and he never returned it. <laughs> and it absolutely makes 2,000% sense when you see these movies in such close succession to one another.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, also, you know, outside of that hint, um, I think the movie wants us to start to think that this is going to be a, a lesbian story completely through and through, you know, because that's what we're used to. We're used to when you put those characters on screen, that's what the movie is, becomes about and And the beauty of this movie is that that's not what it's about, you know it's more it's so much more elaborate than that that we get sucked into this side of the things we care about these characters, but then we realize, holy cow, there's so much stuff going on here
0: yeah the, and we're going to talk about like the the blue is the warmest color of it all, mm-hmm. and how that blew up can, and then this movie comes out and how that maybe how they shot the lesbian sex scenes, and we'll talk about the male gazy parts of this film but do you, when you see like uh, LGBTQ plus uh, LGBTQA plus uh, cinema being discussed, the, do you, I, you never see The Handmaiden on the on those lists? Do you? It's tough.
2: I think. I mean, it's it's difficult because it, it's. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point. Like, it's not exactly uh, like like a. It's not a gay love story, which a lot right, of these right. films are are purely singularly about. Like, I think what's what's weird about uh the handmaiden and it's the one part of it that i i re I, I the one part at least that i can acknowledge that i have not really been fully able to crack is just what it means in terms of like korean national identity like i think 2016 is a really interesting film uh, sorry uh, 2016 is a really interesting year for sort of asian cinema just slagging on japan's cultural history <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Cause, cause <laughs> you, yeah we were talking about this with uh, i saw the devil and like the new korean wait, wait, we didn't even get it into uh on this podcast but we were talking about what new korean cinema means and blah 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 blah, blah. and um it sometimes we were talking about how there might be a metaphor or five or ten or something that we will miss <laughs> yes. in an international film yeah. where we're like i didn't really know what the climate was like in the 1930s in the japanese occupied you know what i mean so um but no this movie is fairly accessible from that point of view but yeah, i i'm with you there i couldn't quite crack that or and i really couldn't crack why the sex scenes needed to be so long that especially that first one needed to be so 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 long but um that's why i brought up the blue is the warmest color of it all
2: sure i i well the blue is the warmest color of it all is really fascinating because i think this movie got a lot a lot like that was like the main brunt of its critique it's just people thinking that this was uh in like fetishizing this this these sex scenes and to an extent i think they are and. You know, I think that's fully the point of this movie. Like, this is a film that is ultimately one of my favorite types of films, where it might be a little evil, but it needs to be a little evil to make its fullest point. Um, and the fact of the matter is, like, The Handmaiden is both, like, this... Th- the existence of it is the literal burning down and the ripping up of the, uh, of the Lord's library. Like that that is what this movie's existence does it is about these two women escaping the movie that they're in. At the same time it is very much one of those scrolls in that library. Like
0: That's what that's what I, yeah I wanted I wanted you to expand on this. I knew you would have this take.
2: Yeah, like there's there's a all these sex scenes that go on for so long. They bring you in as a complicit viewer in the same way that these audiences of like men in tuxedos come in to uh, look at uh, the ladies uh, reading of of all this like really smutty erotica, and you yeah, know, the... it's a it's a, yeah it's a movie that wants to like make you realize that you know you're you should feel dirty as you watch my movie because guess what you are dirty when you have been watching all of the other movies all the other pieces of media, all of the other bits of literature that have ever exploited this type of female sexuality. And so you kind of have to like have your cake and eat it too, but I think at the end of The Handmaiden, it's a lot more of presenting you with this completely new uh, cake of gender studies in in, in the realm of of Asian cinema, world cinema, art as a whole, I, I feel.
0: The, the cartooniest shot of the movie is the reverse on oh the God. men in business suits who are sitting there and they kind of are like, and they're like squirming all. And that I think is such a massive giveaway uh, of him being like, you are the people in the suits watching this movie as well. And it really clicked into focus just now when you were talking about that when I was like, why are the sex scenes so long? It's like, yeah, that's what this movie's about.
1: Yeah, and I think they also, you know, to give them credit, is they stick to the structure of everything, you know, because we do cut away initially from their from their first sex scene. Um, and when, when we cut back to it, that's when we see that they are, like, going to be together, that the, even though they're each kind of conning each other, we know deep down, you know, based on how intense this sex scene is, that they are going to get back together.
2: I think this is a really fil- uh, interesting film to place next to uh like portrait of a lady on fire for obvious reasons mm. but i think um they're both dealing with very similar presentations of sort of uh the the sturdiness of the patriarchy where i think in like portrait of a lady on fire that's all about celine uh, shiyama like she's really resolute in the idea that like there's no realistic way to truly take down man like unfortunately like it is such an ingrained uh systemic force of of masculinity in our entire Western Eastern global culture, that to really start anew means to just burn the planet up. You, you can't really do much else. You got to burn the dress. Uh, Park Chan Wook is a lot more interested in the in head to toe retribution. Like this is for once uh, in in all of his films where I think revenge is seen as like this spiral down a drain of complete depravity and punishment this is the one film of his where revenge is actually the desired fantasy revenge is good
0: absolutely and we will get into that later and i'm curious like i said i'm curious how um this will score on our arbitrary system but uh, per the sex scenes that we were talking about um of course uh chung jung hoo shot this movie who's park chan guy weirdly he's shooting edgar wright's new movie or he did um that Ooh. movie at least we know that'll look fantastic um but you know it's it's funny that during the writing of the sex scene the shooting of the sex scene it was very much like no one's allowed on set and um you know like the camera is going to be just remote you know like literally no one is around there's a I think they had a, a female boom mic operator and that was it. That was the entirety of the set. And uh, what do you think about stuff when you read like on IMDb where it says like during the script writing stage the director Park and his female co-writer Seo King Jong uh, often sought advice of one of Chung's best friends who was a queer woman for advice on the sensibilities of being queer. Uh, how do you feel uh, when, you, when you hear something like that, Adam or uh, Kevin, of course you can both comment on this. Um, does it make you how do you, i i don't even know what the question is here really i just i always <laughs> kind of giggle when i read stuff like that uh, for some reason cuz i'm just like oh oh i'm i'm glad that they had to put in the imdb like someone released that they had to ask their gay best friend about what it's like you know
2: well yeah i mean that's kind of like the hypocrisy of of the handmaiden at the end of the day that's like not even part of its uh of its like main content is that it? you know it, the primary draw here for Park Chan-wook may not be the gay love story, but it definitely, you know, it, it it's a gay love story. Like that's sort of like the ultimate fantasy mm-hmm. at the end of it. And so for this to ultimately be told by, a, you know, a straight Korean man, you, you know, you gotta reach out to whoever you need. But I think also just like, on the basis of that, like Park Chan-wook is no stranger to the discourse. Mm-hmm. He very much understands how contemporary uh, viewers discuss movies. Uh, Discuss his movies, and you know we. You keep bringing up uh "Blues the Warmest Color" as, and and we know what you mean. We you say that film title, and we understand the entire controversy behind it, and what that means in the greater scheme of and, sex on sex and, and it, cinema.
0: It blew up, can, and I said that Park is uh, director. Park is very much a can director. He knows damn well what the discourse was. Absolutely, and so you want. He knows what that is.
2: He wants to avoid it with all of his might. So yeah. Ask your, ask your gay best friend. Of course, yeah, don't ask her to direct the movie. Don't ask her, you know, for more creative oversight. You, you know, director Park, oh, you yeah.
0: to do of, of course your you vision.
2: Uh, but I don't know. It, you know, he, he wants to try and skirt away from, he, if, if he's going to make people mad, he wants to make sure that it's mad for a reason that he designed
1: Right. It's it's going for mad for the right reasons. Right. Not to not for offensive reasons, but should be like, look at how we look at this thing. Look at how we digest it. I mean, exactly. I love to hear that he did that. I, I think it's important to uh, actually talk to these people, people who have these experiences to, to do it properly.
0: I, I just wanted to bring that up and touch on that because um, I we needed to kind of get away from purely, purely saying how much this movie whips ass. <laughs> Literally, uh, Adam. There there it is, Adam. Congratulations. This movie movie whips whips butt. Right. Yeah. I got a joke in. Anyway. uh, And by the way, congratulations, y'all. We've been like halfway through this conversation or more than that. And I haven't heard one single instance of kink shaming. So congrats, guys. Thank you. I didn't have to lay that groundwork up top.
2: (laughs) Not in this house. Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, Kevin, you kind of... um, touched on it a little bit earlier about how there are like moments i think you said there are like moments of niceness in this movie that like i was not expecting like when you know when they're running across the green fields uh towards the ship and stuff and they have that like that fantastic score is just swelling we have this very genuine moments that i have not seen in a park chan wook movie like when i think of park chan wook movies i actually don't think of old boy weirdly i think of sympathy for mr vengeance and just how uh for lack of a better word twisted that movie is uh what did we feel how do how do you how do we feel that director park handles the emotional moments of this movie
2: a very full-bodied wine of a movie you know it's like slightly bitter kind of sweet uh it, it's got everything going for it at, at once and i think a lot of that just really comes from the fact of of its setting weirdly i think you know for me coming into this i thought the setting would be uh one of the biggest uh things that would turn me off about the handmaiden but it's it's that you need that solitude you need the uh the setting of just these four people essentially living in this one disgusting manner it's the only way that you can fully understand why someone would give themselves into another person so fully uh with with their love and their trust and it's you know it it's it's just a very believable love like it's these two women being able to fully escape into one another. Uh, and it's, it, it feels good because appropriately, I think Director Park is like setting up the most perverse, uh, abusive, just really uh, unpleasant surroundings for them to kind of hatch their plans in. And, you, you know, you just you have people that you like that like each other and you give them some conflict. Storytelling 101, baby
1: yeah and i think this this movie handles it beautifully i think you know the realization of this theme of a motif of of these people who are hiding who they actually are or straight down to like the actual korean man who wants to be japanese you know and setting it in this historical context makes it even stronger it's such a heavy hitter of a movie the niceness of of these compositions too i mean this has got to be his most beautiful movie, if not just one of the most generally beautiful movies. Every, you know, still here, I would happily put anywhere up, you know, scenes of the tree, of even the noose is beautiful. This thick white noose, I love to look at. It was great.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I think Amazon Prime actually had some weird coloring issues with this movie because I remember it not looking like a lot of the, you know, 1930s footage, which is the whole damn movie of like them on the train and stuff like that. It didn't quite look as oversaturated as it did on Amazon prime, but it is the way he moves the camera, man. It's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Um, Uh, Let's get into standout sequences. Let's maybe one or two each. Uh, Kevin, do you have any sequences that really stand out in your mind upon this watch?
1: I
2: mean, the sex scenes are, are absolutely wild. The sex scenes are, I think they work on, on, on the two levels. The one of it being the sort of self commentary on us watching smut and media, but I think also they're. I think they're genuinely, really beautiful in a yeah, way. Like yeah, they, they look. They yeah. look
0: amazing.
2: Well, <laughs> they look amazing, but like the sex that they're having is very evenly transactional. Like they really want to feed and please and teach and trust each other. Like it's nonstop. But the way that they're speaking to one another, it's, it's like the saving grace that I. I I'm always a little bit shocked by, the critiques that are lauded at this movie for. You know really prioritizing the male gaze when for one I feel like the trick is told completely up front of what is actually happening here but I think secondly I think like even outside of that this is just like really good sex it's it's bizarre to say but it's a uh, it, you know I, I believe it and you get to that third act where they are basically changing their identities and uh, killing their suitors and basically hatching out every insane plan possible that doesn't become as satisfying if you do not have those lengthy sex
0: scenes. I will say that if like my neighbor walked in during that sex scene, that first one, I I want to believe that that person, my neighbor, could just immediately sense that it was art. You know what I mean? Like it feels sure. like <laughs> art. Uh, that's all I could think about when I was watching it was like, it cause it goes on for so long and my girlfriend's in the other room and she can clearly hear that the scene's going on. And she didn't say like, hey, why is that sex scene like six minutes long in the middle of this two and a half hour movie? It's just, if she had walked in and seen it, she would have been like, oh, I mean, this, this is a movie. It's art, you know? It's elevated. I agree with you. Uh, Adam, do you have a, a, any things that really stood out to you on this watch in terms of scenes? We'll go back to you in a second, Kevin. But
1: uh, It's hard, you know, to pick it because some it feels so cohesive, you know, as one unit. But there are a lot of little details that I really like, especially around the count um, I like little things like in the beginning when he's telling everyone their plan and uh, the maiden steals the lighter and then he steals it back, which is great foreshadowing. I also love that he smokes those three cigarettes in the car, leaving the, the two blue ones because he's thinking ahead. I mean, oh, that was really cool. Yeah. And role. then, you know, there's oh, there's a lot of great like very kind of dry humor in here. And one of my favorite uh, scenes of that is when he does wake up. And he looks over, and it's just one dude unfurling a samurai sword. <laughs> I loved it.
0: Yeah, my my. The scene that like blew me away was the 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 bath scene with the 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 file where she files down the tooth. Um, Park just directs the shit out of that scene. It's so specific and so sensual, and you know exactly where the movie is going from that point. If you didn't already, of course. Uh, and then another scene that I absolutely loved is you have this like. Like we mentioned, the 1930s uh, period piece. Like you're like, oh, this is different for Park. I'm really enjoying this. And then you get to the scene where the fingers are getting cut off with a paper cutter, and you're like, Ooh. this is classic Park Chan woo mm-hmm. Like I just love it with the with the octopus in the background. It, that that scene looks and the performances are so. It almost reminds me of that True Romance scene between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Christoph. Walt, I almost called him Christoph Waltz. Christopher Walken. Uh, just so 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 good and very casual. Uh, I, I I just loved finally getting like to like oh this was where this movie was headed the whole time like you freak we knew we were gonna get to a part where someone used a paper cutter to cut off fingers uh, Kevin do you, any any other standout sequences I, I know I just hogged the two of them but uh,
2: well, I think that tooth filing scene is great and I think what what sets it over the edge is when we come back to it in the in the second half of the movie and we realize that it wasn't just like this, sort of like lurid flirtation, like uh, the handmaiden did actually like, take off her clothes and go in the bath. And so it, it completely uh, recontextualizes, among many other things in the story, but that particular uh, relationship between the two of them. Uh, and I think it's just, you know, I'm not gonna say no to seeing more of that scene. It's, it's fucking
1: crazy. Mm-hmm. And then playing with the visuals overall, I mean, I loved uh, when they are escaping and they walk past uh, the hanged ant was like not actually there
0: yeah 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 Yeah. anything with the cherry blossom tree was like crazy looking
1: right yeah I just love uh, God it must have been so good to be making this movie on set having (laughs) such a strong script and going like oh yeah we nailed this that shot looks beautiful this movie's gonna make it
2: and then having a like a, a visual as beautiful as that and then use it as like a gag later in the movie mm-hmm. like when Lady Hideko uh, accidentally uh, gets hanged because uh, the handmaiden is like so angry that they've both been played by the same man
0: yeah yeah and, that part's and really funny
2: accidentally murders her it's like this inc- you know it's it's in every frame is a painting moment that is completely subverted by a classic like Laurel and Hardy joke mm-hmm.
1: yeah I mean that's a um, I don't know ahead I, I, ahead. I like that joke as it is I like that joke as it is but I think um that's a very trevor-esque joke you know it's like it's a little bit hammy you know but the movie's good enough i'll take it
0: (laughs) it did kind of come out of nowhere but it like you said i loved it i enjoyed it um so we're going to talk about the box office and the legacy of the movie and then we'll rate it real quick but box office the film became the highest grossing chan wu park uh, directed film in the united states a very egocentrist podcast here i guess we're just going to talk about the united states box office it was obviously an international hit um, and then, guys, it debuted at the 69th Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> hey, nice. uh, definitely, uh, director Park's vision came true there. Legacy, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is, this is his best movie. Probably going to always be his best movie. I feel like when someone hits like the 55 year old range, they're maybe not going to drop their biggest movie after that point. But I could definitely see this always being his best movie. I guess is Old Boy looked at it, that's his most popular movie probably. What do you guys think?
2: I'd say for sure, yeah. yeah. absolutely.
0: Yes, yeah, so I don't know. I, th- I think it's fun for people like us to kind of walk around and be like, no, nah, The Handmaiden is his best movie. Watch The Handmaiden. I promise you, you're going to like it more than Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's rate this movie. We're, we're, we're to this point already, <laughs> Kevin. Uh, so what's going to happen here is you're going to give us a, a rating 1 through 10 on each of these five categories. Uh, we're going to start with you, and then we'll go to Adam and then myself. Um, Basically what happened is we drafted a bunch of categories that we thought would be the most uh, representative of what a good revenge movie would be without knowing what the movies were going to actually be themselves. So category number one, in The Handmaiden, how fucked over is the good guy at the beginning of the story? How fucked over does the character become in order to to get their vengeance? Huh. Uh, I'm already sensing this movie is not going to fit too well into our very arbitrary scale.
2: You know what? I think I'm going to go higher on this. I think I'm going to go for a solid a solid nine and a half here. Ooh. (laughs) Because I think the entire, like, the revenge of this movie is Lady Hideko finally having meaningful, intimate sex when her entire life has been brought up since she was five years old to uh, learn uh, and and be uh, submissive to the whims of men's sexual desires and only be the arbiter of their specific grammar. And when she finally gets into, I'm not sure how old the characters are here, but let's say her 20th year of living, she meets a new handmaiden and she realizes, wow, not only is this actual sex I wanna have great, but I wanna go run away and kill all these men with her. So, you know what? I'm gonna go to a nine and a half. Her, her hands were getting hit with those fucking balls. Look painful. <laughs>
0: That's
1: a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to agree with Kevin here on his reasoning. And I think cherry on top is that it's also a series of people getting their revenge here. You know, everyone gets effed over at some point in this movie and everyone kind of gets their revenge from it, too. Um, obviously, the lady has the most reason. I'm going to give it a seven, though. I'm not feeling as strongly about her, about her loss.
0: Yeah, I would say with like context of other revenge movies, and we haven't gone through the whole entire series yet, but I would say that there's been other movies where like their their wife has been murdered and left in, the, or they've been left for dead, <laughs> you know, on that scale. And I do like your reading of the question, Kevin, but I'm gonna give this a seven. I don't think that she's super fucked over, although I will say the abuse is pretty bad and all that. But category two: are the stakes justified in this movie? Do you find that the revenge is worthy? Uh, on the count
2: oh yeah, yeah this, guy's, <laughs> this guy's a freak <laughs> this guy's a complete freak uh, I don't know I feel like he could have gone through life just owning like, like an adult bookstore or something like in a different decade he could have not sold out his gold mine to Japan he could have not been a colonialist pig uh, but you know what he has all those things he had a sex cult for his niece oh yeah fuck this dude up
1: I'm gonna go for another 9
0: 9? <laughs> Okay, perfect. Uh, this guy Adam? sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm kind of bummed that he wasn't the one getting his fingers chopped off. He kind of got off yeah. easy. Yeah.
0: Well, that's not the category.
1: <laughs> uh, um, but is it justified? Yeah, every step against him, against um, uh, what do we call the other guy? The other guy who's
0: posing as the count right. is the, we'll call him the pickpocket.
1: Yeah. A- against the pickpocket, you know, I mean, I-, I was kind of feeling bad for him. Maybe his, his, uh, vengeance was a little too strong you know getting getting his fingers tortured and then get, get dying after that because um, he wasn't the worst guy in the world right he was just kind of a pig
0: well, this is what I wanted to talk about is that this dude's performance is so good and so suave. I mean, that's how I was reading it. Are we really supposed to not like this like he cuz he's such a I'm going to say just like a, a an innocent word here, but he just kind of seems like a rascal, but like he also <laughs> like fucks over our lead so hard by getting her put into like an insane asylum. It's, oh, by the way, great scene. I loved that reveal right there at okay. the insane asylum. 1000%. Well, I think he's, yeah, I think he's
2: like a, a classic Park Chan-wook character where it's like, a, he's kind of similar to the Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance guy, where ah, he just loves his sister and he's just, you know, he thinks he really has control over this situation, but what he doesn't quite understand is how ethically dubious every single one of his actions are here. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's 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 an excellent point. Um Adam, what, what, what would you give it, 1 to 10?
1: Well, also, we should keep in mind that I think it was uh, the lady's idea to have someone go into the insane asylum for her, right? Right, yeah. So we'll give the rascal some credit. I think...
0: <laughs> well, yeah, he's too stupid to realize he's being double-crossed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I'll give it a 7.
0: I'm also giving it a 7. We're on the same wavelength there. 9, 7, and 7, pretty solid for that category. That's a tough one. Oh, boy, this is not good. Category number 3. How good is the conversation before the storm, aka the trope when someone tries to talk the protagonist out of the revenge they want? Now we can spin this category a little bit. I think that yeah. we can make it work in some way.
2: What's your what's your your what's your spin here? It, the, the the fun thing about this movie is that no one is against this like, this plan. <laughs>
0: right. I, I think it's the. I think we can spin this a little bit to say how good is the conversation before the storm, a.k.a. when we see the reveal of the double cross, like the 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 convincing nature of. Um, I can't I'm sorry I I don't know the names of the characters and I just watched it last night but um,
2: lady Lady and the handmaidens rascal count (laughs)
0: yeah I I think that I think that we can twist this a little bit to say how good is the is the double cross in this situation what do you think Adam should we make an exception no (laughs) I'm kind of with you too I, I kind of think the arbitrariness of it is is to you Adam is there anything that can be twisted here as a conversation before the storm
1: no, and but I love that about this movie, that they're all for it. They're all hatching their schemes. They're all kind of bad people. You know? <laughs> well, they, the, I
2: mean, I guess there is a little bit of it, because there is that reveal where uh, the, the lady really wants to get out of the plan. Uh, she's, like, hiding behind the bush trying to talk to the scoundrel.
0: Ah, there is that moment. That's correct. The,
2: is there, so there is that moment where both of these young women... They both realize they do not want to be helping the man that is hatching this plan. They want to follow their own plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I guess place. I guess just arbitrarily just give it a, a rating one through ten.
2: You know what? And you know what? That that feeling when they realize they don't want to do the main revenge plot, they want to do their revenge plot. Yes. Pretty slick. <laughs> pretty pretty slick. You know what? 8.5 wow all right I it. you know Stand up I, it it you believe a... in well because look i I'm, the button on that is is that gag uh with the lady hanging herself on the cherry blossom tree and baby i love myself some cornball gags <laughs>
1: uh you completely convinced me but i think with a lot of love i'm gonna give it a two <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay so i did jack i did nothing <laughs> i believe in you. i, I support you I appreciate you Adam
0: Uh, I have the same sentiment Uh, I have to stick to my guns here But I am going to give it a six I I believe that we can twist it To what the last point that you had About talking about how not They don't want to do the main revenge plan anymore They want to do a different one I think that's enough of a conversation Before the storm Without taking the trope too literally Because the category is just How good is the quote unquote Conversation before the storm Uh, Number four How good slash strong Is the closure at the end of the story
2: You know I think I might give this a seven I, the ending of this movie is not quite my favorite part of the film. Uh, I feel like, you know, it's it's already a pretty beefy movie. I kind of almost want it to be like a full three hours just to get... Because once you get to part three, I think it's only maybe 27 minutes of movie left. And there's just so much fertile ground once you get into the 30s metropolis that... I think, you know, it looks nice. I, the, the, that shot of the hotel of the two different rooms and the two different windows is incredible. And I just, budget shit, story shit. Up, you know, if it was three hours, I'd probably be not happy. But here I am, big, fat, Augustus Glute boy.
1: I want more. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, yeah, I'll go seven. I think I, I want more. Um, you know, I did some research last night, and there's an extended edition of this movie floating around out somewhere. Wait, really? Ooh, yeah, it's a it's about three hours. I think it's like 168 minutes or so. Damn. Jeez, I, I would watch that tonight. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to find. A lot of the uh, discs that I found it on were uh, region two. I got a um, region
0: three. Baby Sean Baker told me what to buy.
1: <laughs> I might get into that. I really have been considering it because this this edition, by the way, if we're gonna get a nerdy here, this edition is handmade and uh, is beautiful. This Blu-ray two disc edition. You guys got to check it out.
2: Yeah, I remember this being a difficult film to buy at first Mm -hmm. because it it was revealed that like it wasn't going to be released on Blu-ray. It was only going to get a DVD release from Amazon. And so I I got like a bootleg from Japan. It was it was a whole ordeal.
1: Well, tell you what, three of us come back here in a year. We talk (laughs) about extended edition. Love it. Down. Um, (laughs) Episode 100. (laughs) I think I'm going to give this category a nine. I actually, I love, I love the ending. I love the pan away to the moon and puts it like in context of how far their journey has been. Um, but I do think that, that the rascal, he kind of got it harder than he deserved to have gotten it.
0: Uh, so you're, you're marking it down one for that. Um, I'm, I'm, I am giving this a 10. Uh, I love the ending of this movie. If you, if you balance out both the scene on the, on the boat with the moon, like you said, and also if you count the um, how the count uh, and the uncle storyline wraps up, I just love how part Chan Wooky that is, and it's like just the the octopus in the background, and everything. I think it just comes together, and the cigarette with the uh, arsenic or whatever that goes into the air. It's it's a ten for me, man. The closure of this movie rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, category number five: How cool slash clever are the weapons, the literal weapons, or the weapons of deceit? In this film Do you hear that Adam how I twisted that
1: yeah I, I think we got to stick more a little bit more literal here because because the second half of that question I have to give it a 10 right so well
0: how cool or clever are the weapons uh, used for the revenge in the in, in the okay, movie yeah. so we, we usually allow metaphorical things here so I figured you could say that the weapons are deceits or whatever you know what I mean you, you can read this however you want
2: I think I, I would maybe give this I might give this or like around a seven and a half, let's say. I think mm-hmm. there's not really quite like a prop in this movie. Like as 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 much as it is, I think Park Chan Wook's best. There's not quite a moment like eating a live octopus uh, in, in Old Boy. Like there isn't quite that tangible moment with it. But you do get close when the lady starts feeding the scoundrel wine from her mouth that's poisoned.
0: Mm. Oh, it's so good. Oh,
2: yeah. That is unreal, and it's just like. It's that beautiful, just like, what if Tampopo, but just like death. Uh, It's good shit. But, yeah, there's no prop here. And you know what? My favorite comedian is Carrot Top. I want prop work.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: Don't start start talking about
0: Tampopo around Adam, by the way. Oh, boy, what a
1: fucking flick. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you convinced me here, Kevin. I, uh, I wasn't even thinking about the wine. I think that's excellent. I love... That, uh that uh, rascals getting his fingers cut off on a printing press you know Oof. in a beautiful full circle if we sure, can sure. if we are allowed to consider the octopus as a weapon I mean that's pretty darn sweet <laughs> I'm gonna give it a 10 let's just leave it there
0: oh okay oh, yeah. clean oh. clean I like it I agree with that. <laughs> um, I am gonna give it an eight. Um, go right, right in the middle of y'all. Uh, I, I again, the, the the paper cutter is just so it's, it's so medieval and it's just Ugh. like and it's, it's I love it. It's so great. The octopus is fantastic. You bringing up the wine really bumped it up for me. So we'll mm-hmm. give it an eight. Uh, now, bonus category, Kevin, um, uh, how cool or good or whatever you want to say is the final showdown location. So well, how are we going to read this one, Adam? Because there's not quite a, re- a final showdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is. There absolutely is. Never mind. Between the Count and the uh, pickpocket.
2: Where is that? Is that – because every time I've seen this movie, it, it does kind of feel like it's just like a side street in, like, Korea somewhere. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> like, it's,
0: the, I, it's the basement, right?
2: It's the basement? Okay. Is it, Adam? I think so.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's I, I mean, that's what I thought. I thought it was the basement of the room where they read all the erotica and stuff, but I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a gnarly uh, final confrontation, dude. And I think, you know, it's part of the fun of the movie where it's not completely satisfying because those two aren't the ones that have been at odds the whole movie. They are just so dumb that that's really all they have. Like, the, uh, the, the count has no one else to inflict pain on so he might as well get nowhere chopping off fingers so i think it's it's a weird scene for me and that i i don't find to be the most satisfying ending but it's working in a similar function to the sex scenes where actually maybe the fact that this doesn't rule is working in a larger like function for this movie i like an eight i enjoy Uh, an eight
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll skip you. I'll, I'll, I'll go to me real quick, Adam. I'm also gonna give it an eight. Um, I, I but I, but I, I found it extremely. I found it very satisfying that ending. How green it was. And like I said, it just truly felt like it came from his vengeance trilogy. And it just really he just showed his ass at the end, and I loved it. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
1: I'm kind of in the middle. I, I wasn't fully satisfied, but I did love it anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, there's significance there in it being the basement, in it being you know a printing press. Um, But it was the two guys that were kind of sort of the two antagonists anyway. I think I'd give it a seven.
0: Okay. That means that the final scores per person are um, Kevin gave it a 49 and a half. Adam gave it a 41 and I gave it a 46. So let me add these up. Um, I do this extremely fast uh, with my mental math skills. So that's going to be a total of 136 and a half for Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. So you have absolutely no context and neither does the listener of if that's good or bad, but essentially Zero. that's 136 and a half out of 150 because the bonus category is 10 10 10 which we don't count in it It's actually out of 180 but bonus is bonus that doesn't count. So you can do the math yourself 136 and a half out of 150 is very very strong so this is um,
2: <laughs> okay this is the rating scale that you guys find. this was the <laughs> final <laughs> result
1: yeah we wanted a rating scale that we uh, would match 150 and any movie could easily just go above that.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, I, I I never thought we'd have to worry about it, but like 136 and a half out of 150 is like, hey, that's what the handmaiden should be. It's a perfect scale. Yeah. Um, The funny part is just leaving the listener completely in the dark, not knowing what the other movies are getting because we're just going to release these out of order. Um, But they have to tune in to our outro to revenge episode where we will then release the rankings of what is the number uh, eight movie we watched all the way down to the number one movie we watched based on this purely arbitrary and Byzantine scoring system. Um, but I will let you know One thirty six and a half and a half is extremely strong. Kevin, uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show and bringing this amazing movie. I had an awesome, awesome time talking about it. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here?
2: Yeah, I'm on a. I do a podcast called "I Versus the Big Boys," all about watching bro cinema classics for the first time. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I write over at Merryground Magazine, uh, and also I'm just on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm, my, my name's Kevin Cookman. Just look at me up on the internet and and follow me home. Please don't don't do that
0: uh ivers the big boys is genuinely i listen to a lot of podcasts it's like one of my favorite podcasts i noticed the newest bit or it's not a bit it's real life on the show is that Aya is a gamer now oh,
2: yeah it's a
0: long long story <laughs> Aya bought a ps5 as like a bit and i'm like wait what
2: how'd she hey man quarantine brings us to some really uh, d- desperate places how did she get her hands on a ps5 She literally did the thing where she watched the live streamer who was telling you when things dropped. She stayed up until 4 a.m. for like three nights in a row just to challenge herself, just to see if she could do it.
1: And she did it. It It's psychotic. That's admirable. I've been doing that same thing for two months. I still haven't gotten one.
0: I'll get you in contact with Aya and she'll you. get you yeah. one easy. Aya has a PS5 purely as a lark. Yeah, yeah, thank like you, Aya. <laughs> thank you. My favorite new bit on like any podcast makes me laugh. Y'all are going to be on Twitch very, very soon, I bet. Oh, thanks, Trev. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> uh, Adam, anything you want to plug? Um, just follow me on Instagram at ProjectorFuel. I post the movies I'm watching.
0: Awesome. And I have a LeberTalks at Captain Dills. I have a ghost party, li- a radio list on there of all the movies we're doing on the show. My personal Instagram and Twitter, at Trevor Dills. And always follow us, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you want to do, at Picks to, yeah, follow us there on all socials. And uh, do we have any listener reviews uh, this week, Adam?
1: Uh, Zilcho.
0: <laughs> Still no listener reviews because these episodes are not out. But if they want to write us a listener review, where can they go, Adam?
1: Please go to GhostPartyPictures at gmail.com and let us know any of your thoughts on these movies that we have selected, on the categories that we made, or just your favorite genre films.
0: You can also rate and review us on iTunes uh, Store, App Store, whatever. Kevin's listening to us try and do these plugs at the end of the show. He's done, like, so many episodes of his podcast. He's like, oh, boy, you guys are you guys are a piece of work. <laughs> Before we get out of here, Kevin, at the, uh, our, our outro episode, we do uh, awards. We were discussing this uh, off mic earlier. Have you thought of an, an award that you – you know, we can name it after uh, you. We'll call it the Kevin Cookman Award for what?
2: Oh, wow. Well, you know, I brought up how 2016, I think, was an interesting year for everyone slagging on Japan. Uh, you had uh, Na Hong Jin's uh, The Wailing be a horror movie all about just Japanese colonialism. Uh, the Handmaiden is basically all about how Japan ruined Korea. And then you even have Japan making Shin Godzilla about how Japan ruined itself. I would like to hand out an award. Uh, best disc. To an entire country
0: (laughs) Uh, all right the kevin award for best discs for an entire country love it love it love it love it (laughs) well uh adam is
1: there anything else you want to add before we get out of here Uh, i think that'll be it thank you so much kevin really appreciate you coming on here it was really great to come on guys this was a lot of fun
0: it sort of reminds me of an episode of Mari when like the teenager like, smokes cigarettes and is like, I don't care what my mom says. And then they bring that like boot camp dude on and just screams in their face the whole time so they get scared straight. It's exactly what happened by bringing you on this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. What are you fucking talking uh, about? Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, well, we'll fix it all in post. Thank you guys for listening to Ghost Party Radio. We really, really appreciate it. And we have officially Maiden to the hand. Bye. 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 Mm. That's a ten.